0: I'm Andrew Constantine, and this is A Stick With A Point. Hello everyone, and welcome to the podcast. When we moved here to the US over 18 years ago, a huge number of people were incredibly kind and helpful making our transition to a new country as smooth as possible. None more so than today's guest, Jeremy Rothman, who was then making his way in this business at the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra. I can't imagine the number of hours he must have spent working on our visa application, not to mention the countless shopping expeditions he took me on before I was able to get my own car. Thanks, Jeremy. So Jeremy, it's great to see you. And uh, fascinating that you now operate under the title of Chief Programming Officer for the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Kimmel Center. What on earth is that?
1: Well, um, the, the, the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Kimmel Center represent uh, both the symphonic and classical uh, programming here in Philadelphia, as well as Broadway and, uh, Presentations um, that range from jazz to popular music to comedy. Um, so now, as this complete entity um, of the Philadelphia Orchestra and Kimmel Center, which encompasses uh, eight or nine different uh, performance spaces—Horizon Hall, the Perlman Theater, um, Innovation uh, Studio, the Academy of Music, uh, the Miller Theater—amongst um, other stages that we that we present. Um, oh, no. it's hundreds and hundreds of performances and constant activity and we have the opportunity to shape the uh, the artistic landscape uh, mm. of the performing arts here in Philadelphia in a very significant way and ensure that there is a dialogue amongst um, the genres and and venues that we that we present in and ensure that we are representing multiple genres and connecting with the community and students and, uh, have both a, a local, national, international footprint in, in mm-hmm. all of our work and uh, making a really impressive impact.
0: Is that what you signed up for there, Jeremy? Because you and I worked together a long time ago and you were a fantastic help to me. I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, when we were both at the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra and you were um, in charge of the artistic planning there, which was kind of 80% classical stuff, uh, but the diversity of what you're... It must be like being a kid in a candy store. I mean, you you've got all of this stuff. Are you allowed to have any personal tastes get involved or
1: I, I always say that my opinions and my tastes are the last thing that get uh that that have input in, in what goes on. Uh because we really are here to serve audiences, serve serve the general taste, serve the artists and the performers that are that are coming in and ensuring that what we offer. Uh, has has broad has broad representation. Mm-hmm. Um, my focus is still primarily on the symphonic and the classical program. We have an amazing team here that uh, does the Broadway and uh, and, and presentation work. Um, but to have that opportunity to uh, look at as an entirety the performing arts. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool and and, and as this new this new entity forms the, uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra and Kimmel Center Inc. It's really a generational opportunity to establish what this institution can represent and who it can best serve
0: well just as a reminder or a bit of information to some of the listeners who might not be uh, acquainted with the Kimmel Center the Verizon Hall still called the Verizon Hall in the Kimmel Verizon Center Verizon
1: Hall is the is the, the 2400 seat uh, symphonic concert hall yeah. within the the Kimmel Center building
0: and it's a wonderful concert hall and the Philadelphia orchestra frankly is one of the one of the great orchestras on the planet. Now, within everything you've been describing to me and all the planning, all the fun you must have with that. How do you how do you battle to maintain what has been a very distinct, very clear, very strong identity of a great orchestra? Is there a challenge there to do that?
1: It is a uh, both a weight, it's a, it's a huge responsibility, and it's an amazing, amazing uh, honor and opportunity. Uh, and it is it is this orchestra's DNA to be innovative and progressive. Um, early on in my time here in Philadelphia, uh, we welcomed Yannick Nessis again as the music director. And at that point, he was only the eighth music director in the orchestra's 110 year, 112 year history. And it was also the centenary of when Leopold Stokowski, one of his predecessors had taken over as music director in 1912. And we went back and we looked at what Leopold Stokowski had been doing in his first couple of seasons. And, and it was surprisingly progressive. First of all, the majority of the music being, being programmed uh, at that point, while we now think of it as canon, most of that music was relatively new within the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and a lot of contemporary repertoire and the way it was presented and the formats that were being experimented with. And this orchestra's uh, experimentation with electronic recordings and radio and then television, uh, films, fantasia, um, concert environments with lighting and painting the shell different colors and um and going on tour with this with this repertoire and building relationships with composers like Sergei Rachmaninoff, this orchestra has had in its DNA uh, to be experimental and be a trendsetter. So, mm. for that to be our core, uh, our core responsibility now um, is a is a great is a great opportunity, and a great honor.
0: And of course, I imagine you identify this as a great honor. Yeah. Even more intensely, because you're from Philadelphia, aren't you?
1: I'm a I'm a native Philadelphian. Well, I'm from the suburbs, um, but hey, uh, you indeed, don't need to
0: fine you tune it. You're a Philadelphia boy, and proud of it. <laughs>
1: Philadelphia boy. The Philadelphia Orchestra was the was the first uh, orchestra I ever I ever heard, um, and it wasn't until uh, I started uh, traveling the country and uh, traveling the world that I came to have an even greater appreciation for what what I had grown up with. Uh, and what the Philadelphia Orchestra is, you sort of take for granted until you um you get a sense of where it fits in um, within the artistry and hierarchy of, of orchestras in, internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I I, I I see my work and the work that we're doing here with uh, Yannick Nedez again, uh, as part of this uh, part of this legacy and an important chapter that we want people to look back on and feel the same sense of pride and. Uh, and admiration, as they do when they look back over the eras of uh, of other past music directors.
0: And those other eras are really quite substantial, aren't they? I mean, the, the era of Ormody in particular um, goes down in kind of symphonic folklore, doesn't it?
1: Uh, indeed. You know, it was a 40-year tenure, um, and it had a very distinctive footprint. And I, I think now, in hindsight, we can appreciate both the impact that that work had and how it established this orchestra um, as, a, as a brand, uh, as a sound um, and certain kinds of repertoire, but it was also suited for a particular time and place. And um, now we certainly recognize that the uh, repertoire and um, profile of what the orchestra offers on stage um, uh, is, is much more diverse um, and speaks to, um, to, to, a, to a broader array of repertoire and performers as well.
0: That's a really interesting answer. And I think that's an answer you've, you've given many times to what must be one of the most challenging or vexing at times situations. Vexing maybe isn't quite the right word, but uh, other times people talk about relevance of an orchestra in a community, I think relevance is a bit of a red herring, and I love the way the way you put it there. That's, that's really quite fantastic, Jeremy. Um, do you find that the community's appreciation of the orchestra is is fluctuating in in any way as times move on? You've been there what a good ten or fifteen years now, haven't you? Uh,
1: yes, I I moved. You here still from look twenty five, by the way. Uh, uh, th- thank you, Andrew, and you, you, you as well, you as well. We're not, we're getting, we're getting younger. I, I, since, since I came here in two thousand and eight, I have um, definitely seen the way that the orchestra engages with the community, and the way that the community uh, is able to feel comfortable with the arts and with, uh, uh, and with the symphony orchestra here in Philadelphia. And it's come through a lot of hard work, uh, and consistency, and continuity. Um, I'll give an example um, that to me was very, very powerful. The orchestra was on tour uh, in Europe um, this past August and September. And the Philadelphia Orchestra opened the classical symphonic season at the Elbe Philharmonie in Hamburg. This is this beautiful new concert hall built on on the harbor um, in in Hamburg uh, in one of the musical capitals of the world. And the Philadelphia Orchestra on tour performed a program that featured the music of Gabriela Elena Frank, who's our composer in residence this year, a, a brand new work by Valerie Coleman uh, that was written for the soprano, soprano Angel Blue, based on texts by a poet, Sonia Sanchez, uh, Barbara's Knoxville, um, which Angel Blue also sung. And then on the second half was Florence Price's Symphony No. 1. Uh, It was probably the first time that the Philadelphia Orchestra had ever presented an all-American program on tour. Uh, We we haven't backed it up yet with research, but I suspect suspect that's the case. Um, Certainly one in which uh, women composers made up the majority of the program. But to speak specifically to the piece of Valerie Coleman, um, who wrote this work based on text of Sonia Sanchez. Sonia Sanchez is a Philadelphia-based poet she was a civil. She is a civil rights activist, very active in the 60s and 70s, um, still very active today. We were introduced to her and her work through a previous composer in residence, Hannibal Lukumbe, who was here working with us, um, and did some programming with us both at the um, free library, uh, Philadelphia Free Library here in town, and uh, also at a detention center up in the Holmesburg neighborhood and where we brought musicians in to perform for um, gentlemen who were uh, awaiting their trial. All this to say that this was work that came from real grassroots interactions with Philadelphians. Um, That that energy, that spirit, that message of Philadelphians and of our local community ended up on a stage in Hamburg, Germany, uh, representing the orchestra on its most prestigious tour. That's the kind of continuity in the work that that we do, that it's not just about going out and doing a one off somewhere um, or that we take what we do on stage and bring it to the community. But in fact, the community brings us things and that we learn, that we we absorb and engage um, what those around us are experiencing and want to express as well. And that the orchestra then can become that voice, that vehicle, whether it's in a school, in Verizon Hall uh, or um, or or the BBC proms. That the, that the Philadelphia Orchestra can engage in that way. Um, also very much during the during the pandemic, when businesses were closed and cultural institutions were closed and we sent musicians out and did um, digital concerts in, in small venues where people weren't able to go in, the businesses were, were closed during, during the lockdowns, um, but they were able to see Philadelphia Orchestra musicians performing there and connecting and then taking those relationships back on the stage when things started to reopen. So, um, I, I think that authenticity of engagement and curiosity and and conversation has enabled us to be to know how to better serve serve the community and for the community to feel really as though that the orchestra is theirs
0: there are a couple of points in there that i I wanted to touch on as we went through this conversation the first of those is the value of touring and I was going to ask you a lot of people question, Orchestras on how they can justify touring, but you've you've largely done it in that answer already, and I, that wasn't an answer I expected, but it's one I I love and respect. Do you feel that uh, touring is going international touring is going to stay a very strong aspect of the Philadelphia Orchestra's future?
1: the The, the orchestra has uh, uh, a clear identity and a message that we want to disseminate um and international touring is a very important way for us to do that um and we're very fortunate to have invitations from around the world to continue to do that so um invitations uh, are
0: one thing though jeremy but you yeah. your, your team must work incredibly hard at the funding for these things because of course it costs a it's boatload not of money. it's not
1: it's not uh it, it is not inexpensive to tour and we've also taken a new approach um to be more environmentally conscious about our touring as well um so that uh we do more uh, more than one performance in a city um we travel by train when possible we we reduced our cargo loads um and are trying to do our touring in a way that's uh more aware of our carbon footprint uh because these things are not only expensive but they also have an environmental impact and whereas we perform a lot of music and uh present uh programming that speaks to environmental issues we also kind of want to back that up with our actions as well um we're we're presenting a a very important new work by john luther adams um this spring uh uh with with a very strong environmental message so we also want to ensure that our actions um, are as responsible as our as our art making so um yes absolutely international touring will continue to be part of our part of our profile um and uh we we feel as though the Philadelphia Orchestra has a lot to to offer in that in that realm. I mean, Andrew, you'll you'll relate to the fact that the Philadelphia Orchestra found itself uh, in London scheduled to perform at the Proms uh, the day of the Queen's passing. Um, and uh, while we did not perform the entirety of the program as was scheduled, we did offer both um, the British anthem uh, and uh, and Elgar's uh, Nimrod in in tribute to the. The, the passing of the Queen, and that gift to those that, that had um, already made the trip uh, to the Royal Albert Hall and were already in attendance, uh, that, was a, that was something that we were able to give them, and that was a really meaningful kind of experience. It's just a reminder of, you know, where, wherever the orchestra is at any time, um, we, can, we can be a source of inspiration, joy, celebration, or solace.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had a lot of friends at that concert, and they all came back to me saying how much they appreciated the approach the orchestra took. And there was nobody sort of standing there saying, where's the concert I came for? It was totally understood and much respected. So personal thanks to, to you all for doing that. All of this must happen with enormous collegial approaches to, to the work of the orchestra between musicians, between management, management of the board, all of the different constituents involved in keeping an orchestra alive. uh, Do you find that there's a a particular dynamism and energy there?
1: Uh, Look, we're we're all unified by the passion that we share for this institution and and the music Um, and this. I think everybody really feels as though this is a this is a golden era for the Philadelphia Orchestra, um, and as I referenced before, there have been many great um, stretches of, of success, I and mean, really throughout the orchestra's history, it's always been top top uh, on, on, ensemble and, and visionary uh, in its time, and and I, I I think that right now there's a real sense of institutional. Uh, energy and excitement over the direction that, that the orchestra is going in right now.
0: And that is um, a counter sort of narrative, isn't it, to, to what we're seeing in the rest of the industry? Everybody is really looking uh, to their laurels and trying to to preserve the present as well as uh, look into a future. Yeah, a lot well, of orchestras look, are challenged.
1: It's it's not easy. And, mm. and uh, you know, being a storied institution with a 122-year, with a uh, 123-year history, Uh, comes with, comes with attention to. it, Um, And, uh, you know, we can't be, be so Pollyannish that um, the work that we do isn't without some, um, some disagreement and with some, with some struggles uh, and some growing pains. Um, And, uh, you know, identifying a unified vision and set of values for the institution is something that we've worked, worked a lot on, um, that you work through those issues with, uh, with respect and and care, um knowing that everybody's end goal uh, is to uh, preserve and progress this incredible art for artists that have have something that they wish to express and share, um and for audiences that are looking for an experience with uh, with with their fellow community.
0: Mm-hmm. So all of that said, does it mean that the organization still has specific project or milestones ahead of it that that you all want to achieve?
1: Always, always. Um, uh, I mean the orchestra has has significant anniversaries coming up. Um, the city of Philadelphia has anniversaries, as does the nation. Um, this is the birthplace of America um, coming up on a two hundred and fiftieth birthday, um, which is an important thing that we want to be well positioned to celebrate. <laughs> The orchestra will have its 125th uh, birthday coming up in, in a, in a couple of years. Uh, the world cup. Uh, that's the one where they kick the ball, right? Um, that's Don't, start, <laughs> Don't start, Jeremy.
0: Don't start. Will you get that's, tickets that's for that? Funny. Because I'd like some. Uh, <laughs>
1: I'll see. I'll see what, I'll see what we can do. Um, uh, and uh And and just you know look just 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 continuing to position this orchestra and this art form as as central to the city of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Orchestra um, as as a as as a leader in this in this performing arts.
0: Hmm. It's obvious that the orchestra is. I was going to say currently enjoying um, tremendous uh, presence and and. uh, public acclaim, but that's always been the case. I think the great challenge for for you in this age with the different sort of societal imperatives is to to sustain that. And you seem as a team to be doing a a fantastic job. Uh, I want to go back a little bit, if we can. You mentioned things in the pandemic and I'd like to know if you actually had to strategize how to emerge from the pandemic uh, rather than just surviving the pandemic.
1: Oh, boy. I mean, uh, yeah, well, the pandemic itself offered some artistic opportunities that we had not created the space for previously. And with all of the struggle and the pain and the loss uh, during the pandemic, the things that we gained um, were very were very valuable. Um, and how we connected with each other, um, and how we took risks with programming, um, and how we were had uh, had to be bold to connect with people in uh, in in new ways through new repertoire, different size ensembles, different ways of presenting ourselves, and be comfortable with being uncomfortable.
0: Do you feel at that time you were kind of uh, forced to engage with things that you were putting off, putting on the back burner, uh, like um, more? performances that were engaging with technology, streaming, different styles of recording?
1: Uh, Yeah, you know, these are things that cost money. um, And um, certainly during the pandemic, uh, we had no choice but to experiment and make those investments um, really as a matter of survival and as a matter of keeping the art in in front of audiences. Um, so emerging from the pandemic, it's been about how can we retain, how do we retain those most valuable aspects of what we learned, um, in how we program and how we engage with our audiences in person and virtually, um, and have the courage to be, to continue to be bold in our, in our programming and our repertoire. Um, while trying to build back audiences, and that's been that's been the ba- that's been the balance.
0: A lot of weight on your shoulders, but you must have great fun doing this.
1: It's incredibly rewarding. Uh, it's exhausting. Uh, the cell phone is always on. Calls come in any hour of the day and night about somebody who's sick, uh, or something has to change, or there's snow coming, or a fire alarm has gone off. Um, uh, and it's it's very all-consuming in that way and indeed also the responsibility to be looking ahead um and ensuring that we're advancing this great institution making it better every single day but not but not doing it in a way that's fearful it can be very easy in, with an institution like this to be afraid to make a mistake yeah um to take to take a risk
0: yeah
1: um because the stakes are so high and everything has to be of such high quality that we we do have to have some risk tolerance. Yeah.
0: Fear of failure um, must must be something you're you're constantly trying to avoid.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, we don't have a lot of tolerance for for things that for things that don't work. But you're not gonna you, you, you're not gonna make any progress. You're not gonna really make a change unless you screw some things up every now and then. Um, you try not to make too, a, a, a mistake that's too expensive um, or or too harmful. Okay. What we do is Are you going to tell
0: about. us one, Jeremy? Are you going to tell, tell us I will you tell you work? one.
1: Um, we did a uh, a performance of, now I'm going to go back 10 years. Uh, it, it, this was the centenary of the Rite of Spring. And um, we wanted to create a presentation of Rite of Spring that would create a riot 100 years Later, there's the famous story, of course, of the of the riot that happened at, at the the premiere in Paris, uh, which may have been staged, may have been a publicity stunt, whatever whatever it was. People still talk about the fact that there was a riot at the world premiere of The Rite of Spring, and the question was, how could we create a riot in uh, in 2013? Uh, and you know, there was some aspects of the performance with that it had dance, it had video projection, um, it had I won't even call it choreography; it had movement um involved in it and it was uh it had things about it that indeed were shocking and and the team rose to the remit the challenge of uh getting some people upset and um uh I got a lot my email box was full the next day um and I, I remember one gentleman uh, sitting a couple of seats over me in the performance um had taken his playbill and put it uh, in his glasses so that he couldn't see the stage. He was so distracted by everything that was going on on stage. Um, and one one of the letters that came in the mail was something along the lines of, I, I attended the Rite of Spring. I really didn't enjoy it. Um, I found it very distracting uh, and not not really supportive of the performance of the orchestra. Um, but keep it up. And inside, and, it, and enclosed, was a check a very generous check um, for for, this was from an individual who uh, was very supportive of taking some risk and uh, and and trying some things in the concert hall that would that would shake people out of their expectations of what it means to go to a Philadelphia Orchestra concert. Uh,
0: Well, Jeremy, that's not a failure. That's that's an absolute success. I have to say, I find that story really quite inspiring. And um, Uh, if I need bailing out of somewhere in one of my orchestras (laughs) in the next couple of years, I'll phone you straight away because you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm going to ask you one last question if I can, or I'm going to give you a choice of questions and you choose which you answer. So, Jeremy Rothman, where would you like to see yourself in 20 years' time? Or do you want to tell me what's the one thing you're most proud of?
1: Oh man! Well, I mean, look in twenty years' time, I want to be on a beach.
0: <laughs> yeah, not a nice old enough. Climate
1: with uh, with with earbuds and listening to some great music. Um, what am I? What am I most? I uh. I am most proud of um the the way that people talk about the Philadelphia Orchestra right now, um, and the way that they. Uh, believe that our programming has um, genuinely diversified, broadened, become more representative, uh, become more relevant, um, uh, more responsive to, to both the community locally, nationally, and internationally. Uh, and that's been uh, that's been a decade plus of of work in um, these kind of incremental steps, and a lot of continuity, and a lot of relationship building, a lot of risk taking. Learning from failures uh, and building on that on that success, um, to come to a point where there was also a great confidence that, that's, that this that this institution you know under the leadership of our board chairs and the president and CEO Matthias Tarnopolsky, um, you know uh, then was in a position um, to create an even stronger institution across um, the Philadelphia Orchestra and Kimmel Center Inc. Um, there's that kind of faith and trust in what the Philadelphia Orchestra um, does as an artistic as an artistic leader um so i'd say that's that's perhaps what i'm most proud of that or um you know uh last season in my my baseball league I, I hit a double i thought that was pretty cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> not I like much the, of a power hitter i like the first answer jeremy <laughs> hey jeremy rothman this has been wonderful to catch up uh, lovely inspirational chat from you i i'm very grateful to you so jeremy thanks very much you're very welcome andrew I'm Andrew Constantine and you've been listening to A Stick With A Point.